Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. ABTV buddies, I've got Alex Hooper on the show today. Alex came to fame by being eliminated from America's Got Talent in 2018 after roasting the judges and that year's host, Tyra Banks. Even though he was eliminated, his video from the performance went viral and got him an invitation to bring back his roasting talents in 2020. Alex's mission of spreading joy through dark comedy has been documented in this wonderful upcoming album called Calm Down Peasants. Now, Calm Down Peasants is being released on February, February, February 25th. I can't say February. Check out the pre-order link in the show notes. Alex and I had a great talk, and he inspired me to take a few risks with my own acts. So here's my conversation with Alex Hoper. It's a good one. Alex, how are you? I'm great, Scott. How are you? Man, I tell you, it's great to meet you. I've been a fan, and as I told you before we got started, I didn't, I, I had no idea who you were because I don't watch that much TV, and my, my son said, hey, you need to watch this dude on AGT because he just totally roasted everybody, and what I'm hoping at the end of this is that you'll get to know me enough that maybe you could do a little roast on me just so I can have something to show my son that, that I can be roasted as well, even though I'm near perfect fair enough you know what we all have something in us that i can get you for, yeah so don't, don't worry I, I won't do it immediately even though my wheels are already turning. yeah yeah so. i bet <laughs> <laughs> one of the things i wanted to ask is how long had you been performing before you did the agt gig so the I was on two seasons of it. In 2018, I had been performing. I started comedy in 2009. Okay. So I'd been doing it about about nine years when I did the first one. And then the second one was 2020. So I'd been doing it like 11 years. Okay. Okay. So you were pretty seasoned by the time you got up there. Yeah. I think I'm glad it didn't happen earlier because the of onslaught from that audience and the judges i don't think i would have handled it nearly as well had i not had so much stage time under my belt yeah and so many horrific situations <laughs> where comedy should never have been happening yeah. anyway so it's when i got there it was like it was still a terrifying experience but i was like oh i'm okay i can survive this i'm okay uh-huh now, what were your expectations? Because you went in there basically knowing that you were gonna you were gonna turn the audience and the judges against you. So, what were your expectations coming out? I went in there hoping that they would 
get it, that uh-huh. they would understand. Like, if I'm like, okay, I'll go after Howie Mandel first. He's a comedian. He used to do really weird stuff in his comedy, the rubber glove on the head, right. all that other crazy. I was like, he'll get it. And once he gets it, the audience will get it, and all the other judges will be forced to jump on board and be like, oh, okay, this is what he's doing. That's what I told myself would happen because I try to remain positive. I was ready for uh, it to go wrong. I did not expect it to be as unforgiving as it was. Uh, (laughs) Like the thing is when you're in front of 3000 people that don't like you and they're yelling at you to get off the stage and you're doing your best to perform because I had to just keep going. Uh I just told myself, don't break character. Just do whatever you need to do to finish your performance and get out of here yeah and i think but also i'm glad that it went the way it did because if they had liked it initially it wouldn't have had the pop that oh yeah it does yeah it would not have gone as viral as it did because because the audience showed so much like vigor towards me right it really made it be like okay this is that's why that clip did so well yeah i watched it through a couple times today and good on you for staying in character because i know that had to have been rough oh i was dying inside yeah i was i was in in full panic mode i couldn't even hear myself think because they this is like crazy scott but the like agt in the edit they toned the audience down it was oh really more raucous and crazy than it seems like it is and those buzzers are so loud yeah everything about that was just a nightmare for me (laughs) and looking back obviously it made me so much stronger more resilient made me realize i was like okay it can't get any worse than that yeah right (laughs) hopefully that's like my that's like my turning moment a lot of people say that's my joker moment yeah like oh you don't like me well i'll force you to i everything worked and then i i I got to listen to the the new album and it's what is it is it uh calm down peasants is that calm down peasants and one of the things you we talk about comedians being unique but you are truly unique especially in your meter the, the way you talk because there are conversational comics out there but you are like really conversation conversa- conversational to the point where i felt like you were just sitting at the bar next to me talking to me and oh wow that's a huge compliment only because i always feel like i'm performing so much because i play with my voice and uh-huh. physicality and i and i watch comics that do i call it like killing in first gear like that nate bargatze tom segura yeah people that kind of just stay just right here and we're just having a conversation so if that comes across in the album that i'm doing that is a that that's a huge compliment yeah it, it was it was really it was unique, I guess, in the fact that um, I felt like you weren't expecting laughter. You, <laughs> and, and I don't want you to take that the wrong way because every when I go up, when everybody goes up, we're expecting laughter. That's the goal of us getting on stage. But the way you portrayed yourself was you've got this this character with uber self confidence and the I guess the almost I, I know a lot of stuff type personality and stuff like that but it seems like you didn't care if they laughed or not you were gonna you're gonna go along for the ride and you were gonna tell your story no matter what 
And I really enjoyed that. And of course they laughed. It wasn't like they didn't laugh. There was great laughter. And your jokes really have a first laugh and a second laugh type aspect to them because there's the first laugh. And then when we're watching you live on, because I've only watched you on video, but there's the expressions and, and all that that brings about the second laugh. And also your jokes are multi-layered. So there's so much going on there that I like how you allow it just to happen rather than try to force it. I appreciate that. I was at the end, I recorded this at the end of an 11 day tour where I was doing like the hour every single night to try mm. to get it, just move around pieces. What do I need to cut? What can I fit in there? And by the time I got to Pittsburgh where I recorded it, I, I was pretty exhausted. I was also inspired, but I was just also, whatever happens here, I feel ready to do this. And I did two shows that night. And this, most of the audio, I think all of the audio is from the second show. Uh -huh. um, the first show was okay, but there was a lot of people that didn't know who I was. And the audience was pretty small. It was only about 40 people. Like we were in a small black box theater, which is what I wanted. Uh -huh. But if you don't know who I am, and I'm, like you said, I am unique. Mm -hmm. I have perspective. I talk about a lot of odd things and I very much am myself. So if you're not if you're not expecting that, then it's going to take you a little bit longer to get on board. Right. And honestly, that's one of those scary things of like when you start doing a set for an album recording, you're like, oh, these people aren't that into this right now. Am I going to be OK for the next 58 minutes? Like, they're not laughing now. How do I turn them? Yeah. But. One beautiful thing about audio as opposed to a video special is that when people listen to an album, they really are listening to you and not waiting for the audience to tell them, oh, we laughed. Now. Yeah. The audience is laughing, so we do. And so I really like that you can hear, because the audience is only 40-odd people, you can hear individuals at different times yeah. laughing at different things. Yeah. I think that's really, as opposed to just hearing one continuous roar throughout, if I had hundreds of people there, I like how small it feels. Right. It really does feel intimate. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I, I did get that feel from it, just listening to the audio. And I, I agree with you. It's hard to, it's, Sometimes it's hard to watch like uh, a Netflix special or something like that as a comedian because you, first of all, you're breaking everything down and you're trying to get in Nate Bargetsy's head or whatever and see what's going on there instead of actually enjoying. And with with a album like this, I can be driving and it can be in, in the background and then I absorb it a little bit better just because it's not I'm not trying to draw out where you're coming from. I, I, I can yeah. just be a little bit more present. So yeah, there there is a place for albums, but I do you're a guy I would like to see live. You because the visuals are definitely a, a good thing too. Oh yeah, I have so much fun on stage. Obviously, I dress like in my I have my own style. I wear a lot of kimonos and mm. furs and things like that. I'm very festival inspired. But for me, like a lot of people ask me, why didn't you film this? Why didn't you do a special for this? And 
My thing, I, I have ideas for specials. I put out one that was like a, a compilation of all these sets I did in London and mm-hmm. more like a travel log documentary. And that's on YouTube. I have ideas for specials that are actually like special specials. Mm-hmm. And I feel like right now, for me, I turn on like something like Netflix and then everything just looks very similar. And it's for me, I don't really, enjoy, because I watch so much live comedy, I don't enjoy watching specials. Yeah, it's hard. But if you tell me, hey, like you said, here's an album. You got an hour long drive. Put it on in the car, and yeah. that's when you. That's when I feel like I'm in the room. I'm here with these. I'm really yeah. listening now to this full experience and not getting bored after ten minutes, like I do watching a special. If you're right. a real comedy fan and you go to shows, specials for the most part, they're boring because yeah. they're, they're 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 such a finished product. And yeah. Anyone who's a real comedy fan likes to see things happening live in front of them and likes to see right. the stew being mixed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why I just, I wanted to do another audio album um, before I make a, before I do an actual special uh-huh. because I just like how I like the experience more of listening to it. It's how I grew up. Yeah. Yeah. That's the same. Yeah. That's uh, I have the same situation. Now let's back up a little bit. What brought you to comedy? So I I went to school to be an actor. I was doing acting in high school. I went to a magnet school in Baltimore. Then I went to Pittsburgh to go to a school called Point Park University for theater, which is why I recorded this album in Pittsburgh. I actually hadn't been back since I graduated and I wanted to go back to a city that I wasn't wasn't sure where I was yet, but it did allow me to grow a lot Mm -hmm. as a human. And I, I moved to Los Angeles. I was already in the Screen Actors Guild because I did a couple films in college. And I just thought, let me go for this. Six months after living in LA, I was bored. And a friend of mine was like, dude, you really got to do stand up." And he just showed me the way, put me on a bringer show, which I didn't know any better at the time. And I just <laughs> did it. But it was one of those things where like, I did that six minutes and I knew instantly when I walked off stage that mm-hmm. I was like, this is everything I've been looking for. I have such manic energy and I'm so like discombobulated all the time. And I don't know where to focus that this was finally a way to funnel all of that, like power inside of me uh-huh. into a source that would actually service me in some way. So when I found comedy, it was like game on run as fast as you can what can we accomplish in my life? It's uh-huh. all coming back to this. That's great. How did your act evolve over the years? So let's t- think about 2009 to the AGT thing. How did it evolve between those times? I, when I first started, I definitely, it was a lot more observational comedy. It was a lot more just, it was it was less personal and more just like things that I've noticed or what, whatever it may be, how everyone starts like that, almost like Seinfeldian approach to it of just, isn't this weird? I was also very experimental because I had no idea what kind of comedy I want, comedian I wanted to be. So I would try one set where all I did was one-liners, like very slow, like Stephen Wright style. Mm -hmm. And then I would try another set that I was just full character where I would write out these insane monologues and perform them almost more like a one-man show. Uh And I just kept playing around with who I really, who I wanted to be on stage and the message I wanted to present. Uh And then around, it was around eight years in that I'd been doing roast battle for a while at the comedy store and I was doing really well there. So I got to comedy central because of it. And that's when I realized I just want to, 
I just want to go balls to the wall and just be <laughs> this person that I'm afraid to be, that I'm holding back. Uh-huh. This, I, I call it, whenever I'm at a music festival and I'm truly being myself, I call it like uncaged Alex, free range. I am yeah. fully at my best. I am my most powerful, I'm most energetic, my most fun, my most silly. I'm creative. And I was like, why am I so afraid to bring that element to stand up. I always thought those uh-huh. were separate worlds, but I realized the best thing I can do to be myself is combine them. Uh-huh. And when I really started thinking like, wow, I love this positivity stuff. I like being inspirational, but I like doing it through dark humor. Yeah. That's when it became like, oh, that's where you differentiate yourself. Yeah. Is you are this child of love and happiness, but you experience it and you present it in a very twisted way. I think a perfect example of that, and you're the first person I've actually talked to about this for the, that's listened to the album, is there's a lot of jokes on there that represent that, but I think really the when I'm teaching the kid how to slack line, yeah. it is a perfect example of a, I am showing this kid all the love in the world. I'm telling uh-huh. him not to, to love himself. And at the same time, I'm telling him, but wait, because in a few years, you're going to try to kill yourself because your life is going to be so terrible. And I'm literally that joke. I am telling a seven-year-old child (laughs) he's going to try and take his own life. And, but again, but it comes back to, but not today, buddy. Today, we're going to get back on the slack line. And it's it's this perfect dichotomy of who I am, where I'm being this, it's just ever loving soul. Uh-huh. But all realists. It's yeah. Like, but just so you know, the world is going to kick your fucking ass yeah. every single day. Yeah. <laughs> so get ready. It's funny. I see you as that that wide-eyed, innocent kid that has gone through the shit of life and has retained some of that wide-eyed, innocent, happy kid stuff. And that is what's keeping you from, like, taking a bunch of pills. Nothing wrong with taking a bunch of pills. Yeah. I mean, anyway, what kind of pills we're talking about? No, I think as a child, I, I, I was very bitter, very angry. I thought the whole world was created just to be against me. I have really terrible eczema, like one of the worst cases you can have. So I was in and out of the hospital a lot. I was in constant pain and discomfort. So I didn't really have that childlike wonder ah. until my tw- until my mid-20s when I started to get healthier and my skin started to get better. And so I think I'm still living in that whole, like, I never really was happy in my childhood. So now let me, I've lived the depressing and angry side of things. I've been over there long enough. Let me see what the other side is like, where the grass is a little greener. Let me frolic over here for a while. That's a great story because I would have never thought that. And you went through the bad stuff early and then came out of it a new guy. Yeah, very much. And anyone, that's why it's very, if you know my story at all, it's so fun for my family to watch like what has happened to me because Mm -hmm. I was such a lost cause. I really looked at myself as a broken human being, just Mm -hmm. someone that was never even given a fighting chance. So why should I do anything for myself? And like, thanks to comedy and so many, there's so many other factors that made me like really start appreciating my life, but it really changed things for me. And now I am just trying to get people to look at the brighter side, to accept who they are, to not be ashamed of what you look like or whatever's wrong with you, embracing your flaws. Mm -hmm. And I really try to put that in there. And the more 
the more I did this album, like and the more I toured it and the more shows I did, I realized like that is the overall theme is all of these things that I'm talking about are all ways that I grew mm-hmm. personally, but how can I relate them? So it's not just like a me, me, me. So the audience can also step right. into their own shoes and see how they relate to this too. Because yeah. that's really, that's what we're going for. Even no matter how personal our comedy is, we want it to be relatable. And you have to do that in a way where, okay, maybe not everyone knows what a sound bath is. Yeah. But I need to make you feel like you know what it is after I start talking about it. I didn't it. know what it was until the joke. That was good. Most people don't. Most yeah. people don't know what slacklining is. Yeah. I mean, I'm in California, so it's a basic thing. So, like, you see it places, but most people don't know what it is. So, you need to offer that quick explanation. Here's what it did for me. Here's why I do it. And mm. now, here's the joke. Yeah. So that you're not just talking about balancing on a tightrope. Yeah. 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 So this album, especially did as many times as you had to do it to get ready. Did you have people come to you after your show saying, I felt like you were talking to me, like you you brought out their own stories? Yeah, definitely. I have this thing where people unload trauma onto me, like immediately after meeting me. And I get this all the time where people will just walk up and tell me, they're like, oh my gosh, dude, I really loved your set. It's really a hard time for me. My dad has bowel cancer and I'm at home taking care of him. And this is my only night out. And I'm like, I'm sorry. What is your name? Um, I don't don't need to know that. Yeah. Like you're changing your dad's diapers. Oh, great. Can I know who you are, what you do, yeah. basic information before we get here? <laughs> so this happens to me a lot. And I think I've just accepted that I have a healing energy to people uh-huh. that is something about me just makes them want to just dump off their pain and put it on me. And I don't say no. So I guess that's my problem. Yeah. But yeah, dude, I'll take your pain. I also think that you have one of those personalities that people feel like they've already known you. Because when we just popped into here, sometimes, so I'm an awkward guy. And sometimes I get an interview that comes on and I'm like, I really don't want to talk to you too much before the interview because I'm awkward and it'll put you off. So let's just get right into it. And with you, I just felt comfortable just automatically and that doesn't happen to me very often that's an honor i think a lot of people when they see someone even though i dress pretty eccentric and i am eccentric yeah i think because of that i air a level of confidence and no self-knowing and love that people see okay Maybe I'm not going to be like this person, but I can talk to this person because they obviously know who they are. Yeah. And I'm not like, I think we're always seeking something, but I spent so many years doing the work just to, to figure out how to love myself Mm -hmm. that I think people notice that in me and maybe that's what it is. I couldn't really tell you, but I Mm -hmm. think this is one of those things that happens to me. Every time I go outside, pretty much. And comics do it to me, too. And the I even have a bit about it right now that I'm working on because it's been happening so much. And even still, people love to come up and say, like, after the show, can I tell you how I watched my dog get hit by a car? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can. Go ahead. Bring it on. What kind of dog? What kind of car? <laughs> You're the ultimate empath. You just have to soak it all in. So, like I said, I, one of the lines for my bit is I was like, my, your pain will flake off me like my skin does. Yeah. So, 
call it call, blame the eczema or whatever, but it's nothing sticks to me. That, yeah. <laughs> that I don't that I don't want to. Right. <laughs> Now, have you felt that your act plays to a certain type of audience and then you've been surprised by people who become fans that are out of that type? Yeah, I used to think there's no way like older people 50 and older are going to get what I'm talking about or because I do have this like psychedelic guru kind of energy vibe to me, Mm -hmm. especially in what I talk about. It's not. And it's, it hasn't, it's not like that at all. Like I, I can give you a perfect example. Two months ago, I was up in doing a show and a 17 year old kid brought his 80 year old grandmother to see me. Mm-hmm. And I noticed them like in the second row. And I was like, okay, so I got the relationship quickly. And I just looked at him and I was like, I'm going to tell you both of this right now. Both of you are going to be embarrassed to laugh in front of the other one uh-huh. at the things I'm going to tell you. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you right now, you're here together. Let's just see what happens if you truly open yourselves up and allow yourself to just be a part of this experience. Uh-huh. And yeah, and the, you know what? I broke the tension for them because that's exactly how it was. If you're sitting there with your grandmother, she's probably, you probably think she thinks I'm innocent and pure, and you're looking at her thinking she's innocent and pure. Uh-huh. No, this 80 year old woman has given blowjobs, yeah. seen murders, or whatever else. And you're a 17 year old kid with the internet. Like, you go to school, you hear things, whatever it may be. And so I, I really embrace the fact that I have families that are fans of mine Mm -hmm. like little kids will see me in a restaurant and get excited and their parents are like yeah my 10 year old really likes you and i'm just like oh that's yeah what i was saying is i have these fans these families that are fans of mine and i think it's a really beautiful thing when like their parents are are able to bring their kids to my show and i've even walked up to like families beforehand and all each show and be like hey i'm not what i am on america's got talent Right. Yeah. Like, you know, that's me very that's me very toned down as far as my language and my themes. And uh-huh. they're like, we know he can take it. It's yeah. Good. She's 13. She yeah. Can hear it. And that's an honor because I don't know a lot of I don't most of my friends and my peers don't have children that are fans. And I look at that as that's my future. Yeah. Right there. Oh, yeah. A lot of those kids can't go to shows right now. But if I'm their first or someone in comedy who becomes important to them because I had any sort of effect on them whatsoever, what a beautiful thing. Yeah. I even had I was on a hike once and this like 10 year old kid was with his mom and his brother. And he asked me, he's like, oh my gosh, aren't you from America's Got Talent? I was like, yeah. And he's like, that's so cool. I love that show. And I was like, oh, awesome. And he go, and he, he looked at me. I can't believe he said this. He goes, a lot of people think you're mean, but they just don't get it. It's a joke. And I was like, <laughs> what? Can you I'm please sorry. travel with me? <laughs> I looked at his mom and I was like, whatever you are doing, yeah. You are killing it. Oh my gosh. It was such a beautiful thing to hear out of the blue that like it's always fun to get recognized, but for something like that, for a t- I don't expect kids to understand what I'm doing at that level. Yeah. But this kid did and that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny cuz I I was the same way with my kids and my I think my son's 28 or 29 and my daughter's 31 and I was always the I'll always be there for you but I'm never going to tell you 
how, how, what to do. I'm never going to tell you how to be, how to act, what kind of music you and who to hang out with and stuff like that. And they, they both turned out great. And the funny thing is my son is, he knows what he likes. And a lot of it is stuff I don't like. And, but we come together on the few things that we do like together and it's it's really neat when you've got kids that have a mind of their own and you can disagree on stuff and yet the stuff that we do agree on is really cool so yeah it's neat to have a relationship with your kids like that and a lot of parents don't no for sure that's you have to let kids I, I, i'm not a father yet but you have to let kids you guide them you don't tell them or dictate how they live and what they do. You just try to put your best influence into them and hope that they can become their own person and that they are happy and with the way that they live their life. Mm -hmm. and that they have a lasting impact on the people that they meet and the things that they touch. That's, mm -hmm. as, if you achieve that as a parent, you won. Mm -hmm. you know? Now, one of the things I wanted to get into, because you're, you're so unique that when you were doing when you were coming up in comedy let's say you were either hosting or you were featuring and you got to work with the more experienced comedians did any of them try to tell you that what you're doing isn't this is a weird thing for me because i have not featured all that much most comedians path is yeah you host some things then somebody will take you on the road or you go into a club and you start featuring for bigger comedians i asked everyone if i could feature for them and unanimously the answer was like i already have somebody or i don't think it's a good fit or whatever it may be and i'm not i can't say why because i do have good energy but i also have very powerful energy and i think a lot of people I can't really speak to, I'm not going to say people don't want that in front of them or somebody that is very much their own person isn't necessarily always a great opener. It's a great like dual act if you can figure out how to be like co-headliners or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I was basically forced into headlining because I had done America's Got Talent. I was trying to feature and it was just nobody would take me with them mm -hmm. and anyone i have since featured like really comfortable comedians have taken me like kyle canane jeff ross mm -hmm. whitney cummings craig gas people that like really are very sure of themselves and just know i'm a, a good hang and i can do my job up there mm -hmm. but anyone who ever told me hey what you're doing it's too weird people aren't going to get it or it's really unconventional those people are scared Mm -hmm. To be honest, that's they're they're scared of cha of of you changing something. This happened to me in roast battle when I started wearing these extravagant costumes. Uh -huh. Is people were like, "Hey, you can't do that," and I'm like, "What do you mean? Why can't I?" Uh -huh. They're like, "Because it's not really you. It's not. <laughs> it's, are you afraid that now you can't wear a flannel shirt and jeans? Like it's okay. <laughs> you have to." You got to be yourself up there. And the, I really lean into this. Is, these are my bits. This is what I think is funny. And I will take you for a ride, whether you're ready to go on it or not. Mm -hmm. There are times, dude, like perfect example. So on this album, I have one of the final bits is the self-help book mm -hmm. bit. That is a bit where if I start doing it and the audience doesn't like it, I don't have an out. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. way to get out of it. 
<laughs> so it is five minutes of basically pure tour de force assault yeah. on the audience. <laughs> and, the, and the less they were into it, the more I would just lean in yeah. <laughs> go even harder. And it's just to me, it's look, you're either you're on my roller coaster right now and my roller coaster. You're not going to see all the flips and drops and turns that it's going to take you on, but you're strapped in. So you have nowhere to go. There's mm-hmm. no getting off the ride right now. And anyone that's why I'm really weary of giving comedy advice. Like I'll tell people things like, hey, slow down a little bit. Let mm-hmm. the audience breathe. Let the joke land. Let mm-hmm. them think about it. But I will never say, hey don't do something like this Mm -hmm. because everyone needs to figure that part out for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I've been told plenty of times, dude, you're so weird. Like, where do you come up with this stuff? Like that joke is so esoteric. I don't think people are going to get it. Okay. Let them figure that out. Uh Let them tell me that. Yeah. I'm a person who I can figure out what to do with pretty much any audience. Uh I very, I, I, I know how to pick, uh, pivot and shift if things that I'm talking about aren't going well. Mm-hmm. And that's what I just, you really, you have to be your own person in this. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can imitate for a while to figure out what you want to be. But at some point you need to say, I'm doing whatever I want to do up here. And that's one thing where I've never been good at following rules. I've always challenged authority and I can't do things the way they're supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. Like to me, putting together Ikea furniture the worst thing I could ever possibly do because it needs to be done in a very specific way. And if you don't do it in this way, it won't come together. Only reason comedy works for me is because I can do it however I want. Mm -hmm. And if people say, that's not how it's done. Okay. Then you do it a different way, but I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. So in, in being able to pivot with any kind of audience, so you know, I I just relocated to uh, Alabama from Indiana, and I've witnessed it's Huntsville, so it's there's a multitude of different people here, but there's also the old guard, and I've had conversations and actually actually done an act that I'm way more like a Ray Romano or a David Letterman on stage. So a lot, just that guy that stays in first gear pretty much. And, but they, I try to think about you in that situation where you've got all these folks that they say have a blessed day all the time. And it's just, it's super red state type stuff. How do, how do, how are you able to work in that type of a situation? Funny enough. Those are the people that get me more than anybody. Really? Is it's really bizarre. But like when I go to these more progressive cities, a lot of times, not that they don't like I can get them on board, but there's certain things that they don't that maybe I can't get away with because they're like, Whoa, hang on a second. Did you just really say that? Okay. Whereas the people in like the red states, they they don't really give a shit. Uh-huh. What you say. If I'm talking about dogs dying or whatever it may be, they're more on board with it. And I just, I, I tend to just, I tour everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I experience every type of audience there is. And I've even toured internationally. I've done shows in like Thailand and Buenos Aires and London, and mm-hmm. Canada. And you just, 
you figure it out by just being present and in the moment. Mm -hmm. And it really, we're supposed to be good at reading the room. That's one of our main jobs. Mm -hmm. And if I walk in, there's a lot of times I walk in, I go, oh, I do not want to go up here. Yeah. This is not the situation. I'm watching the opening comics like bomb because no one's really paying attention. It's just a bad environment for comedy. Uh -huh. And I have to tell myself every time, okay, but how are you going to win? I don't accept ever that I'm going to fail up there. I never have that thought. I uh -huh. go, what can I do to have fun, whether it's bring out some crowd work, maybe do a little roasting, maybe just go into some bits that are a little more like easy to take. Like a perfect example, like on this album, the settling joke, that is universally accepted mm -hmm. as pretty much. When I do that joke, people get it. Yeah. No matter where you are, mm -hmm. people get that one. The self-help book bit, I, that's not going to be for everyone. Yeah. You know, there were definitely crowds where I go, I'm not going to do that one tonight. Uh, uh -huh. Just because I don't, there would be so, it's such a, it's such a piece. Like, and that's the thing is like, there are, I have jokes on this album. I have some bits that is a piece and uh -huh. it, it has to all work together. And like I said, you got to be on, I have to look at a crowd and go, okay, there's a bunch of 20 year old liberals here. They're going to be all into this because they're going to know what this book, these books are. They're going to know what I'm talking about. Uh -huh. If I'm in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and the main people at this are, and the main people at this in this room are a dentist office that are celebrating their hundredth <laughs> Google review, that's not the crowd yeah. to do that bit. And you got to know. And luckily, I have enough material that I don't need to rely on one or two things to uh -huh. like get me through. Right. I can always find a way to be relatable even if it's just being myself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what's your writing process i do i write every day i write every morning just but that's mostly just like journaling that's just decluttering mm -hmm. my mind whenever i actually think of something or i hear something what i do is i write it down in a notebook and i just start writing a few ideas down i jot it out if i have a show that night i'll try to just figure out well, what are the bones of this that i can at least present as part of another bit maybe or like mm -hmm. just add on to it, try a couple lines. But when I really feel like I have something, I go to my computer and I just type out as if I'm on stage and I was doing the bit. I try to type it out for as long as I possibly can until I've gone on so many tangents that I don't even know where I started. Uh -huh. And then I go back through and I go, okay, but where, what's actually the real meat of this? What's fluff that it can just be thrown away? And what's actually getting to the point? Where are the actual punchlines? Oh, and then maybe in a full page, maybe I'll tear that down till it's only like a quarter or a third mm -hmm. that's actually usable. But then I'll take that and I'll just keep trying to build on that. My set right now, because I'm not trying, unless I'm doing an hour, I'm not doing anything from this album that's about to come out. I have about 20, 25 new minutes and the rest of it I can fill in with like crowd work and some older bits that never landed anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to literally build it upon itself. So it's okay. I just talked about this. What would be the natural progression for me to go into after that? And how do I write a bit about that? Okay, I'm traveling again. Here's some traveling bits about things that happened to me along the way. Who's happy that I'm traveling? I'm happy. Oh, my fiance's happy because we've been quarantined together for two years and finally I'm out of the house. Well, let me talk about my engagement. Let me talk about my bachelor party. Let me talk about things that are in my own head, my, my fears about getting 
married. Where does that come from? Oh, here's a woman in an airport talking about her, her daughter is on a starter marriage, which is literally a thing I heard the other day. And I was like, a starter marriage? That is hilarious. I'm going to talk about that for sure. And so it all leads into the next thing. And I'm trying to write this almost like I heard George Carlin did it this way. Like George Carlin used to write out his entire hour and then memorize it and go perform it as opposed to learning it piece by piece and putting it out there uh-huh. one joke at a time. And so I'm still putting out the jokes like one at a time, but I'm trying to figure out like, what is this hour going to look like? And how is it going to be different than anything I've already done before? Mm-hmm. If you look at my first album, every bit, almost every single bit is about 60 to 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. They're short. I didn't really go into them. I just tell the joke, found the funny, and left and went on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And this last one, these bits are long. They are involved. They're stories. They're they're larger than life. And I think that's the way, the direction I want to go. But also in these stories, you have to have the maximum amount of Mm punchlines. I am punchline heavy. I do not like to say more than two sentences without the audience laughing, unless I am very deliberately building tension up to a huge moment. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I really pride myself in is the amount of jokes that are in this hour within these bits. Yeah. It was actually, when I finished, it was like, it was like I had been (laughs) in your head for an hour. It was well, especially with the last bit, you're really in my head, yeah, on that one. <laughs> so, that one, dude, and so that one, the final bit on this album, it really is it's an explorer, it's an exploration throughout my psyche of me having an existential crisis. And when people, when I do that bit live, what I do is I have an audio cue that I give to a sound guy, and so I'm silent up there, and then you hear my voice come through the speaker system like voice of god style mm-hmm. and people freak out yeah. they're so confused <laughs> they don't know what's happening they're looking around going where is that coming from and it's really it's a beautiful way to play with the format of conventional stand-up and just do something different and make it more of like we're in a show we're showmen look i respect the guy that just goes up there and stands first gear at a mic and does his whole thing mm-hmm. but my thing is i'm a performer and mm-hmm. i want to try to i don't ever want you to think what's coming mm-hmm. from me yeah and when i do that when i would do that bit live um it was always like a beautiful just conclusion to everything that you've learned about me and if you watch that bit on its own you're like whoa where did this come from yeah but when you listen to it as the culmination of this entire hour yeah. it makes so much sense mm-hmm. and i was really i i, I hope it comes through on the album, like that, it is like a voice of God thing happening. Yeah, it, yeah, clear. yeah. Because it's with that a lot. yeah, it's definitely with the echo, the what you know, the reverb or whatever you put on it, it, it. You can definitely tell that is something that is happening outside of you talking into the mic. So I definitely oh, got good. that. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. That was dude. That bit took months of experimentation and I playing bet. and just figuring out how do I do this? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I go beyond what traditional standup says I'm supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And that's, but that's one of those things where people see that they're like, Oh, great. Do I have to do that now? No, mm-hmm. you don't have to do anything that anyone else does, but that's what I want to do. So right. let, let me play. Are there comedians or other people in your life that you can bounce this stuff off of before you take it on the stage? 
Yeah, certainly. I definitely, I talk to, a lot of times I, I, I do talk to comedians about it, but I also just talk to trusted friends that are not in stand-up themselves. Because mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, if you were at a show and this happened, what would be your thought process? Would you be into it? Would you be not? Because mm -hmm. a lot of times, the problem with asking comedians questions is, first of all, yeah, they'll be like, yeah, go for it, dude. But they'll always tell you, what they think would be funny yeah. as opposed to what would work necessarily in your yeah. point of view, in your world. That's why I'm very weary of giving anyone advice is because I'm just going to tell you to do what I would do. And that's not the answer for you. So when some of these bigger bits, I have to like, I had to record that one and talk to a friend about it. And to really be like, does this make sense? If this happens, is this something I can do? And other ones, like the self-help bit one, that one, just, I was like, man, why are self-help bits so aggressive? And then I started writing a bit about that. And I was like, no, this is, this is very standard, a way to write this joke. What's the way that Alex Hooper is going to make it interesting? I hate that I just use myself in third person. But, but, but it was like how, how I relate to me. Oh, what if these books were like drugs and you were just getting more and more addicted to them yeah. the more you went on and you needed stronger books? And that bit, the first, I wrote that whole thing out. And I remember the first time I did it, I was like, that's <laughs> practically complete as is. No one needs to tell me what to do with this bit because I just know that it will work to mm -hmm. a, in some capacity in front of the right crowds. Mm -hmm. I yeah I, and it's funny people do get addicted to those books and they jump from one type of self help it's just like dieting they jump from one to the other and it becomes like a religion to them dude you know i wrote my own right like, yeah that's a real yeah uh, like i wrote my own self-help book i have it like right here on my desk hey roast yourself to happiness yeah everybody. <laughs> like bam like i did I, i'm the, like i'm that person who i read one and i was like i need more yeah more. yeah just devouring them until the point was okay well how much self-help do I need? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm going down this wormhole that eventually I got to cut myself off of this stuff. Stop reading so much hippy dippy shit and just, okay, start applying some of the principles you learned and just go out in the world and just read a fiction book yeah. of some kind. Jesus Christ, man. Do you have any kind of a pre-show ritual? Because you've started a 10 and pretty much maintain that 10 throughout the show. Do you have something that you do to get yourself ready? I'm pretty quiet backstage. I am. I'm not what I'm not what I am on stage by mm -hmm. any means. I am like I like I'm a guy who I stretch. I shake it out. I mm -hmm. blah, 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 like that kind of just like that. Just get whatever excess is building up in me. Like just try to just push it out. Mm -hmm. and, and then I just I get pretty quiet um, before I go on stage and I just close my eyes. It's not like I don't have a. It's not like a ritual or a meditation. It's just to take this moment of peace. And remember that when you go out there to just leave everything mm -hmm. out there and this is for them, this is for you. This is a one once in a lifetime experience for all of us. We're never going to be the exact same audience and performer again. I'm never, I'm not going to be in this room again for a long time. Mm -hmm. So what can I do to make this experience be an escape for myself and every single person in this room? Mm -hmm. I don't want anyone thinking about anything else in the outside world except what is going on right here right now mm -hmm. and so i pretty much just like 
And people tell me this all the time. They're like, man, you're really different off stage. You're really calm. It's like, what kind of fucking weirdo <laughs> maniac would I be if I came into every situation like, hey, man, how's it going? Wow. People would be like, get away from me, you freak. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't. I, I, we've all met the comedian that doesn't ever want to turn it off. Yeah. And it's annoying. Yeah. yeah it's... Dude, can we just be people? Yeah. When I'm on stage, yes, that's when I'm letting it all out. And I don't need to be this wild character outside of the stage. Like, I always, people, have, when, I love the question, what kind of comedy do you do? And the easy answer for me is it's a hyperbolized version of my life. Mm-hmm. It's of myself. Like it's me at a, it is me at a 10 all the time mm-hmm. when most of the time I think I'm operating at around a four or a five. Mm-hmm. And anyone who hears me say that that knows me is, yeah, you fucking wish you were at a four or five, <laughs> Alex. You're fine. <laughs> Don't even act like you're not 25 all day long. Yeah. You're at your no. four or five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm pretty chill. I'm very easygoing. I'm a very much just flow through life take what is handed to me and use that for my own experience and don't Uh, try to combat anything yeah i have to say i have to say some of the things that you have said have resonated with me because i am a guy that gets in my own head really bad and i shoot myself in the foot before i get on stage quite a bit and my last time was my last time i thought i would be cool and take an edible before I go up and it kicked in a little bit too early and too hard so it was just my whole act was me trying to keep it together so that's a no for me from now on (laughs) yeah no I don't people ask me all the time dude you get high before you perform the stage is my drug yeah I don't need to yeah after I get off stage a lot of times I do smoke a joint or something like that just because I like that feeling of I did it yeah it's still flowing through me let me enhance this experience that's what like you were saying this is why I'm almost weary to talk about what I'm going to do to other people is because I just think I believe in it. So mm-hmm. let me go try it. And sometimes if we talk about something too much, it gives us the validation that we're looking for and we don't feel the need to do it mm-hmm. anymore. So I really like when I have an idea going through my head, I if I need to talk about it to a couple trusted sources, I will. But I just try to start doing the work Mm -hmm. to advance whatever the idea or project is without bringing an outside influence because i don't need anyone to go dude people have done stuff like that before or i don't that's too wacky it's too out there Mm -hmm. my thing is let me find out where the line is and if i cross it or if i if i push myself too far in any direction i'll find out Uh (laughs) i don't need you to tell me that before i've even attempted to do it and especially like Something like America's Got Talent, nobody's going to tell me to go on there and be like, dude, when you roast those judges, you should put on a unitard and a tail, dude. Like, <laughs> no one is going to tell me that. And if I told most people I was going to do it, they'd be like, why? Yeah. Just be you. And I'm like, but it is me. That's part of the fun. Like, yeah. This is me just being a silly idiot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I totally respect that, and I'm so glad that I saw that clip, and it's just, it's so refreshing because it was real. I know that Howie was not expecting that, and the fact that he didn't get it the first time around is just hilarious. Yeah, it was a shock to me. I saw him about two months after I filmed it. I saw him at the comedy store, and we had never spoken uh-huh. in any capacity, and I just said, hey, do you remember me? And he goes yeah 
oh my gosh, you're brilliant. What you did was so funny. It was so amazing. It was so in the moment. And I literally was looking at him. I was like, what? What are you? Why didn't you tell me any of that? And acted like I was being, I was just doing, I was being rude or that I didn't know what I was doing. And then one of my friends, another comic was like, Alex, he's playing a part on that show too. Yeah. And he's his own character. And his character in that moment said, I'm going to get offended by this. Yep. And that was his choice. Yep. And looking back, yes, he understands that what I did have merit. Uh-huh. But in the moment, he chose to play it as, I'm not letting this get through. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, he has, he has since apologized to me, which like, you don't need to apologize, dude. That, that bit, that segment put me on the map right. as far as being a comedian. Yeah. Like roast battle on Comedy Central was great, but the amount of eyes that saw that compared to America's Got Talent, uh-huh. minuscule. <laughs> and yeah, I can't imagine you having any more impact than the way that went. Yeah. Oh, Heidi, like, Hi, Hi, Heidi, she was staring daggers through you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That joke, those jokes, people really didn't like those ones because they said I was questioning her parenting yeah, skills. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you're not paying attention to what that joke is. Yeah. Um, I'm <laughs> telling her that she's amazing, beautiful, magical, mm-hmm. and that's why you don't believe that she had time to raise her kids. Right. She's yeah. too busy working on herself. Yeah. Not about her parenting skills. <laughs> that's the thing is, like, when I went back in 2020, I was so sure. I was like, man, if the audience hates me again, I'm so ready. I want to live in it. I want to bask in their film. Yeah. And when I didn't have them, there's a reason why the first time I was on has like over a hundred million views overall. Uh-huh. And the next couple times, like collectively have a couple million. Yeah. Which a couple million is great. Mm-hmm. But the reason that the impact wasn't there is because there was no audience that hated what I was doing. There wasn't this David and Goliath mm-hmm. thing happening. The, the stakes are so much lower when it's just me and the judges. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that it worked out that way, but I'm still very grateful to the show for having me back. Nobody knew what was going to happen uh-huh. that season, the COVID season. You can't predict something like that. So you just take what you can do. And it led to one of my favorite performances ever, which is me doing the storybook roast, uh-huh. which yeah. is what I'm more proud of that than I am in almost anything I've done in comedy because it was just such a, authentic and innovative idea and no different people had never seen roasting done like that right and i was trying to push the envelope and i think i did yeah that's a really cool thing yeah yeah that's really good so when you think about what you want to do next you you've been working hard at this for a long time when you think about what the next step is what do you want to do now so I, I'm developing, I really want to do a cartoons. I really want to be in cartoons mm-hmm. uh, and I'm developing my own cartoon right now that we're getting ready to start pitching to studios. And that, that is a major thing I want to do. I definitely, I, I want to keep touring. I want to keep going to getting into new clubs and working my way up the ladder on there. But really now it's how can I get the message of positivity and like self-love and dark humor out there in a more for in a fresh way Mm -hmm. and i think that like a cartoon is actually a perfect way to do that for me to like really put 
all everything I've learned and written into these books and the, these TV appearances and stuff. How do I teach kids how to love them or just people in general, how to love themselves, no matter what's going on in their life, how to live the best version of themselves. And I think part of me is always going on this kind of inspirational shamanic kind of warrior quest, mm -hmm. but I just want to make people laugh and in any way that I can. And I want to travel everywhere. I, I think the TV show is going to lead me to all that stuff and just keep finding ways to push comedy in a different direction. And I'm willing to fail. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most important thing. I am 100% willing to fall on my ass and eat my own face. Mm -hmm. And if that's what happens, that's what happens. If you, it, my thing is, if you go out on a risk and it doesn't work, there's no shame in that whatsoever. Right. You tried something different. You went big. And so go big or go home is my yeah. thing. And I'm going to keep finding ways to do that and push the envelope with all this. Mm -hmm. It's it's funny you mentioned that uh, Kyle Kinane worked with you because I can see you guys being a duo. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> it's that scratchy voice thing, man. Yeah. Kind of have the, the gruff the thing happening. Yeah. yeah. You've got the over-the-top positivity with the darkness, and he's just got the darkness. And so yeah. you guys, I, I think you guys play off of each other really good. Yeah, he's punk rock, and I, I'm electronic little music festival. Yeah. Like, I'm, the I'm the dancing rainbow fairy, and he's the bouncer going, you're not fucking coming here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. So I did ask you at the beginning of this, after uh, talking with me for about an hour, if you could come up with a little roast of me. So if you've got anything in your head right now, it, now's the time. Roast me, baby. You do look like Tweedledee ate Tweedledum. Uh, you look like Bruce Valanche is going through a horrible cancer experiment. You look like if I dropped you, uh, a yolk would come out instead of a brain. You have this giant baby vibe that I'm not convinced you don't need a diaper change. Yeah. Right now. If I sing you a lullaby, maybe you'll go to sleep, finally. I don't know how to end this podcast. Is that what, do, I need to, do I need to put you in a warm binky and give you a bottle and just put you down to bed in a bassinet <laughs> whatever it may be i could do this all day <laughs> i love it so the album is coming out on the 25th or is it 26th, 25th, yeah, friday, okay friday february 25th it is available for pre-order right now uh if you go to my website or if you go to my uh instagram or any of my social media at hooper hair puff it's all on there too on my twitter and uh, i'm releasing a sketch the day before that i'm very excited about i took the lazy susan bit and i basically made it into a music video with like lip syncing and stuff okay and it's i'm really proud of how it came out it's really cool and very different and so i'll be releasing that on the 24th to promote the album as well and then the 25th it's available everywhere you've already you got lucky yeah hear it in advance yeah so you're one of the first and thank you for that scott i really appreciate you listening to yeah, it. yeah i really enjoyed it and it's funny lazy susan is just freaking hilarious for everybody that's one of those universal jokes and it, it, it's just great Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. I appreciate you being on the show. Folks, first off, this is coming out on Tuesday, so you'll have three days to pre-order. 
go ahead and pre-order it. This is what makes comics actually like the job that they do is when they know that they have people that will actually spend a little bit of money. And for God's sake, don't listen to anything on Spotify. If you're going to listen to a comic, listen to any other medium that pays them more. And I, I don't give a shit about Joe Rogan or Neil Young or anything like that. Spotify just doesn't pay people. So please no. use a different music streaming service if you're not going to buy the album. I like to say this, Scott. My album costs nine dollars, and so you are, for the price of a Chipotle burrito, you are supporting an artist and inviting more happiness yes. into your life. Yeah. So that's it. It's a fast food combo costs more yep. than my album does. Yeah. And trust me, I put a lot more work into it than a freaking hamburger. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Thanks so much, Alex. This has been fantastic, and I, I really do mean it. You did inspire me to get out of my head a little bit and just be myself a little bit more on stage. So I appreciate that. I got you out of your head. I clearly got you out of your skin. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's all working for us, Scott. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast.